Thank you, Pastor Hack, for that prayer. Thank you, worship team. Those are beautiful songs. I'm always blessed by the ministry of our worship team. And thank you to all of you for coming out on this kind of an odd winter's day. Right? It's gray skies, but no snow. Right? It's rain. It seems a little weird. We were talking during setup. It's like Christmas is next week. Right? And it, it almost seems like it's fall. It's fall. But Christmas really is next week. And, you know, one of the things that has become a little bit popular recently is destination Christmas. Right? Instead of gifts, or maybe in addition to gifts, some families take vacations. Right? I, I want to get away from gray Indiana, and we're going to go celebrate Christmas someplace south. Like, we're like the birds, right? We want to go south where it's warm and it's sunny and there's water that isn't frozen and we can swim and, and all of those wonderful things. That may be good for you, but for me, I would love to take a vacation to Alaska, right? And, and, and not only to Alaska, I want to go during the six months of darkness, okay? And, and, and I don't want to go on some cruise where we're cruising the, the coasts and stopping at all these neat things. I just want to go to some little podunk town with nothing to do, right? To me, like, that sounds like an awesome vacation. Dark, cold, in the middle of nowhere, nothing to do but nap, right? But nap. Napping is one of God's little gifts, right? We, we should rejoice. As Hack said, we need to enjoy the Lord more. We need to take more naps, right? That's, now, that's not the application of the day, but I love to nap. And I know most of you, including my family, think, well, that sounds like a horrible vacation, right? Well, that's okay. I still think it sounds wonderful, but as wonderful as it would likely be, it probably wouldn't take too long, just a couple of years, I'm just kidding, probably just a couple of days, actually, before I'd be ready to come home. Something would be missing. I would have the cold, the darkness, the middle of nowhere, the slow pace of life, but I would be missing my family, and I would be missing you guys. I would miss my wife, my kids, my church family. I would be in what, for me would be paradise, and yet I would not be satisfied, right? I would be unfulfilled. I would be unfulfilled, and, and you may be sitting here asking yourself, what does this have to do with the Bible or anything like that? Well, a whole lot, a whole lot, because this, this tells us something about how we were made and for what we were made. While there is some fulfillment, some joy in a great vacation, right? There is. Or a nice car, or a beautiful house, or or success at your job. I mean, those things are, are not bad things. There is some joy in fulfillment, but they don't really satisfy. After a bit, right, we're left wanting again, right? What's, what's the answer to that? Well, marketers 
would like you to believe that you just need more, right? You just need a nicer vacation next time, not to Alaska in the middle of nowhere where it's dark, right? Why, try Florida and a beach, right? It might scratch that itch, right? Maybe, maybe the solution really is a bigger car or a smaller car that just happens to go really fast around all these, all these uh, roundabouts up here, right? That's cool. A bigger house. Maybe a phone with even more gadgets, right? Don't we just need more, more, more? No. No, we don't. We were not made to be satisfied with material things, right? We were made, as Hack said, right, to be satisfied with God. Truly does Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26 say, who do I have in heaven? but you. And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion, or it could be translated, my inheritance forever, forever. And so in a sermon titled, Saved from Sin, Saved to God, our big idea is we see that blessing is not ultimately found in a land, or really in any material possessions. Blessing is found in a presence, the presence of God. So let's listen to our text. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's bow for a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for your promises and your faithfulness to them. Lord, we thank you that you have said your word will not return to, your, to you void. And so, Lord, we, we simply ask that it would be so this day. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. So, to really understand this scripture and how it relates to God's presence, we have to place it in context of the biblical story. See, when, when God created Adam and Eve, as, as Pastor Hack alluded to, right, he, he placed them in this beautiful garden, right? Had all kinds of trees for food. Had, had rivers for water, it had great scenery, gorgeous surroundings. And, and in fact, when I started talking about vacations, like some of you got this picture in your head that 
probably sounds a lot like this, right? Paradise. But not only that, he gave them something to do, right? They weren't just going to sit around and be bored all day. He gave them daily work, tend the garden. And, and more than that, he gave them a greater purpose. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? But best of all, I say the best for last, right? right? God, God didn't create this garden far away from him and, and, and put Adam and Eve like over there, right? No, God gave him his presence, right? Many would say that the Garden of Eden was really the first temple. It was the place where God's special presence was manifested to be with his people and to bless them. And, and in this setting, what we see in picture form is the covenant structure, or, or what some may call the grammar of the covenant. And it's repeated so often in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Right? I will be their God, they will be my people, and I will dwell among them. Right? One could rightly say, this is the purpose of creation. Like, Why did God create? For that, for that, we are made to live in the presence of God as his people. And so when Adam and Eve sinned and they were thrust out of Eden, right, the great tragedy was not all oh, the fruit trees or, oh man, the little babbling brooks of rivers, the gorgeous scenery. Now there was some loss to that. But, but, but no, the, the, the great tragedy is they lost the presence of the Lord. Now, thankfully, almost as soon as they sinned, out of God's mercy, he made a promise. He made a promise to them. And, and in this promise, we get the gospel in seed form. Right? There's going to be an offspring of the woman. He's going to come and he's going to defeat evil. And, and this offspring is going to lead Adam's fallen race back into the presence of God back into the presence of blessing, living life as it was intended to be lived. And, and we have got to understand this. Right? This is so important, and it is so practical. This may be one of the most important biblical lessons that we learn. If we miss this, the whole trajectory of our life is off. Right? We're going to be floundering, chasing all kinds of stuff around. Everything but God to try and make life work. And then we're going to sit and we're going to wonder, well, what's God doing? Like, why am I lacking the fruits of the Spirit? Where's God's blessing at? Well, why does my life, why am I struggling like the unsaved? It's because you chase the same things they do. Right? You, you think life works the same way that they think life works. God didn't promise a Savior to take us back to a place. Right? God promised a Savior to take us back to Him. To Him. And there's a sense in which, as, as, we, as we look at the Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament really just attempts to answer this question, well, who is this Savior? Right? Who's the hero? And time after time, right, every possible contender, it fails. Right? It's not Seth. It's not Noah. 
It's not Abraham. It's Jacob. It's J- no, not Jacob. Well, it has to be Joseph. Nope. Not Moses, not David, not Solomon, or any of the prophets, or any of the Old Testament heroes of the faith. And what happens is we close out the Old Testament still waiting. And humanity is still separated from God. However, right, God is not silent in the Old Testament about this promise that he made. He's not silent about this hero. Right? We do find out some things about him. Right? As God begins to work through the nation of Israel to keep his promise to Adam and Eve and all of humanity, we find out that he is going to be an Israelite. He's going to be a descendant of Abraham. But, but he's not just going to be a blessing to Israel. Right? He's going to be a blessing to the entire world. He's going to be a prophet like Moses, right? A mediator of a covenant between God and his people, but a mediator of a, of a better covenant. He's going to be from the line of David, and he's going to be a king, but not just an Israelite king. He's going to be king over an eternal kingdom that is going to cover all of creation. And so as we get to our text today, we finally get the answer to this question, right? And it's the Sunday school answer, right? Who's the promised seed of the woman? It's Jesus, right? Like all all the kids who just went back there, like they could have gotten that. They would all say, it's Jesus, yay, yes. But it's true, right? It is Jesus. Jesus is the seed of the woman. He is the hero that we've been waiting for. But we also find out the most important aspect of who the seed of the woman is in our text. And it's more important than him being a Jew. It's more important than him being a prophet. And yes, even more important than him being a king. And it's revealed as part of the virgin birth. The virgin birth, right, it's one of those Christian non-negotiables. Right, we can, we can disagree about some things. Right? You don't like certain styles of music. Right? I, I don't like certain forms of liturgy, this and that. Right? And, and, and we're good. Right? We're still on the same team. Right? We disagree about the virgin birth. We got problems. We, 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 got, we got issues. But why? Why is it so important that the virgin birth is a core doctrine Christianity. Well, it's it's part of the proof of the deity of Christ. We can see from our text that Joseph, the man, is not the father of Jesus. As verse 20 says, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, not from Joseph. And verse 23 says, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. But why? Why is it so important that Jesus be God? Why is that the most important aspect of the seed of the woman? More important than being a king. More important than being a prophet. Why? 
Well, it's because of his mission. It's because of his mission. See, if the seed of the woman was only, and I'm putting only in air quotes, right, was only going to put the kingdom of Israel back to the top spot in the world rankings of nations, right? If, if the seed of the woman was only going to overthrow Rome and, and take over all of its property, so Israel is now top dog again, he wouldn't need to be God. He would just need to be a man. A great man. A, a, a great warrior a great tactical general, but would he have to also be God? No. No. If the seed of the woman was only going to come now and put the conservatives back in power against those pesky liberals, right? The seed wouldn't need to be God. There would have to be a great statesman Right? A wonderful politician, a smooth operator, eloquent beyond belief. And yet, they wouldn't have to be God and man. They wouldn't have to be. And we could go on and on and, and we could stay here for hours talking about all the things that we really want changed. Things that we would really love to see. Man, I, I want better leadership. And how about you? I want a better economy. How about you? Well, I need a better job. <laughs> you know, how about you? Well, I need a better bank account. All, right, all of these things, and, and none of those are necessarily bad. None of those are necessarily bad. But, but there's a big problem with all of them. None of them would solve the problem. None of them would solve the problem. Remember, Right? We were made to live in unity with God. We were made to dwell in his presence. And it's not politicians. Right? It's not the economy. It's not your job. Right? It's, it's not anything else that we like to point the fingers at and say it's their fault, it's that fault, it's that problem, it's that problem. No, you've got to point the fingers squarely at yourself because it's our sin that has separated us from God. That's the problem. That's the problem. And so the mission of Jesus was to deal with our sin problem. Listen again to verse 21. She'll give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from Rome. No. From politicians. No. From the economy. From poverty. No. From their sins. Period. And for that mission, Jesus must be divine as well as human why i'm asking why a lot today i sound like a little kid why daddy why why human well when we get saved we're in essence saying jesus he represents me his life of obedience counts for my life right his death my death and for this to be true, Jesus had to be human, seed of a woman, because last time I checked, I'm human. And I assume most of you are too. Notice I said most. All right, you got it. <laughs> right? We're human. We're human. And God made a covenant with us, with humanity, 
through a human representative, Adam. And when Adam sinned, we all lost. We all lost. Right? This is why we're all born separated from God. Right? When we're born, God is not our God. We're not his people. And we're separated from him. So as a man, Jesus lived that perfect life of obedience. Right? That we couldn't. And he fulfilled the covenant. And he received the blessing. He received it. Right? So that he could die. But not for his sins. Right? For ours. So that he would fulfill the covenant curse. The soul that sinneth shall die. Shall die. So we understand for Jesus to represent you and me, he must be human. He must be. But why must he also be God? Why God? Well, have you ever thought this? How can the death of like one man count for the countless numbers of people who are saved? Well, it's because that one man is He's not just a man. No. No. That man is God in the flesh. And so his death is of infinite, unending value and can satisfy the wrath of God for any and all sins of his people. This is why God can say things like this in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who is thirsty, Come to the water, and you, without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without silver and without cost. Come freely all and partake. Why? Because my son is so great. He's covered it all. He's covered it all. See, the freeness of salvation is not only a testimony to the great mercy of God. It is. Right? God is merciful. But it's also a testimony to the greatness of God. See, Jesus is not just kind of great, where it's like McDonald's, right? Over a million served, right? Over a million saved. No. He's not just really awesome, where like a trillion can be saved. No, no. Jesus is so great that a countless, uncountable number can be saved. Right? And because of that, I can confidently stand here and I can say today, if there are any who are not saved, yeah, come and drink. Right? Come and drink freely without worry of the cost because it has been paid. Right? I, didn't, I didn't have to check my Jesus app, like this morning, and make sure there was still enough saving power to be able to say that, right? We, we, we don't get like a download every day and say, oh, better not spread the gospel today. We got to power up a little bit. We're running low. No, not at all. Not at all. You won't be turned down. You won't be turned away, right? We don't have to check and see that there's a table open. I can with full assurance say this. If you believe that Jesus is God, that he has paid for your sins, right? And you turn away from the way you were walking and living outside of his presence. 
and you turn and you come to him, right? You, you may have heard a fancy little church term called repentance, right? This is, this is the essence of it. You turn away from your sin and you agree with God that that's bad and you want him and you want him and he will save you. It's not that, it's not that he might save you if it's a good day. It's he will. He absolutely, absolutely will. And that goes for any and all of us. Right, as Jess said in, 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 in leading up to the last song, you know, we should all witness. And, and, and part of the reason that we can witness so freely, part of the reason that God gives us that command to witness is because we don't have to worry. Uh-oh, I just opened my big mouth and God can't back it up. Oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, yes, he can. And so we see why. Why is a virgin birth so important? Why is it a Christian non-negotiable? And why is it so important, at least in the thread we're talking about today, that Jesus be not just a great man, but be God? No virgin birth, no salvation. Our Savior must be fully human to represent his people who are human, and yet fully God to satisfy the wrath of God against the sin of his people. See, this is why Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Because there's no one like our Jesus. There's a lot of smart people. There's a lot of moral people. There's a lot of good people. But there is only one that has two natures united in one person to do what only he can do. And that's to save us from our sin. It's only him. It's only him. But guess what? There's more. Right? I'm like one of those late night infomercial guys. For, for those of us who are a little bit older, I'm like the sham wow guy. Right? There, there's more. There's more. That's, that's only half the story. Right? That's what we're saved from. What are we saved to? What are we saved to? And verse 21 reads this. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And verse 23 reads, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So we've seen we're saved from our sins, but we get, we get hints right, of what we're saved to, in the name of Jesus, or in Hebrew, Joshua, Joshua, and Emmanuel. So who was Joshua? Well, Joshua was the great Israelite leader in general, and he led Israel as they conquered their promised land, right? Moses, he led them to the promised land, but it was Joshua who led them into the land. Now, 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 don't, don't, don't get too caught up on that land part, though, right? Remember, the importance of the land is it was the place where God and his people would live together, right? What, what, what did Solomon build in the land? The temple, right? And when he built the temple, God's spirit, the Shekinah glory, came down and filled it, God dwelling with his people, 
right? And this should all start to sound a little familiar. Sounds kind of like Eden. Beautiful land, God's people live before him, receiving his blessing. Right? Sounds a lot like Eden. And again, like Eden, well, it didn't last. Right? As, as Pastor Hack spoke about, Israel failed to keep their covenant. And they were exiled out of the presence of God. Yes, they were exiled out of the land. And it was a good land. It was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. Right? A land of abundance. And yet, again, the tragedy is not the land and the milk and the honey. The tragedy is the loss of the presence of God. But that's not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. See, see Joshua and Israel and the land, it's just a shadow, right? It's a picture of a greater reality to come. And so in Jesus' first coming, we see a partial fulfillment of this, right? Jesus is our Joshua, a greater Joshua. And he, he defeats not, not human enemies, but the enemies of all humanity, sin and death, and he crushes the head of the serpent. And he leads us into the presence of the Lord. See, he himself was God with us. His name, Emmanuel. And through his ascension, as Hack said, what happens? He pours out his spirit to all who believe to indwell us. God with us. God with us. Right? And we know how the story ends. Right? In Jesus' second coming, all of history culminates in a new creation. An eternal promised land where God's dwelling is once again with his people. We're saved to God's presence. He is our God. We are his people. And he dwells with us back to life as it was meant to be lived. Back to life as it's supposed to be lived. Now think about this for a second though. Think about how different this is from our earthly rulers, right? Our, our, our earthly kings and presidents and so on and so forth who, who live in big houses behind big gates, protected by big guys armed with big guns, right? Doing everything they can to stay away from us as far as possible until they need something from us, like our votes. And then they come out and shake our hands and then deftly, you know, get some uh, hand cleanser and wipe it off real quick. We don't want a, them to be infected, right? Right, that's, that's how they live. They may be physically distant, and yet the rich, powerful, and famous, whether they be politicians or entertainers or businessmen, they still share in all of our troubles, though. They may be as far away from us as possible, and yet right, they still share and our failings, right? For all of their status, for all of their giftedness and, and their wealth and, oh, how wonderful the world thinks they are, right? They still have bad marriages, right? They still struggle with addictions, right? They're, they're often, we read way too often about examples of their low character, their bad morality. And, 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 and yet, for some reason, we still persist in this delusion that money, power, fame, and giftedness are the keys to life. If that were true, then all of these rich, wonderful people, they wouldn't have any problems. And yet they do. And their problems are much the same 
is the problems that we have. Right? So apparently, money, fame, power, wealth, giftedness are not the keys to life. Apparently. So quit chasing them as if they are. See, our king is so much different, though. Right? Our king's purpose for creation is so that he could live with us. Right? No, no big guns, big guys, big gates, and big houses, right? For him. Right? His purpose is so that he could dwell with us. And in there, we find the key to life. As we share his life with him, as, as we dwell with him, as the Bible says, we're changed from one glory to the next, right? Into his image of peace, love, joy, kindness, contentment, right? All the things that we, that we want. And he came into the mess that we made through the virgin birth to make that happen, right? That's our God, and that's our king. So let's see if we can kind of bring this out to a close. Let's see if we can kind of summarize this a bit. See if this hits it. God the Father gave God the Son by way of the virgin birth to lead us back into the presence of God the Father, and then they send God the Spirit to indwell us as proof that we will spend eternity in perfect unity with God. Do we see a point? Right? Did, 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 did we get that? It's about God. It's about Him. He's the point. And here's the thing, Moses got this. When God was angry with Israel over their sin, as they're on the way to the promised land, actually, they weren't even on their way, they were just beginning. This is, this is the golden calf incident. Right? This is at Mount Sinai. And, and God told Moses, I'm not going with you. Like, you guys have made me mad. I'm done. I'll, I'll send an angel of my Lord with you. He'll conquer the Canaanites. Right? And so here's the thing. He's like, you're still going to get your land, the land flowing with milk and honey, right? This good land. But I'm not going. You're not getting me. Listen to Moses' response. Exodus Chapter 33, verse 15. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. Moses got it. Moses understood. Right? Do we? Do I? Right? Do you? Or, or are we too caught up in land and milk and honey and we forget about God? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. And we need to be very honest and very serious about that. So what's the application? Well, through salvation obtained by Jesus, we can now live the way we're meant to live, right? in loving dependence and unity with our God. So here's the application. Right? This, is, this is very, very technical. What are we supposed to do? Live right? Do it! Live it! Right? The, the biblical message of life is very clear. Real life is life lived in the presence of God, right? Life lived outside of this, though you may still physically exist, it's something less. It's something less. That's not real life. I want you guys to think about this. What if your faith left tomorrow? You woke up, 
and anything and everything related to God, gone. Right? Can you imagine waking up? There's no desire to pray. No thoughts of God. No, oh, I need to read the Bible. No thinking about Scripture. No being guided by Scripture. No desire to please God. He doesn't, he's nowhere in your motivation for life. No church, no more Pastor Hack, no community groups, no sorrow over sin, no nothing. And you guys can keep going on and on and fill in the blanks, right? You don't love God. You don't believe in God. God means nothing to you. He's completely absent from your life. And what would we do? Well, we'd fill those empty spaces with other things. Think about that. We try to replace God. Like when you hear that out loud, think about how foolish that sounds. Think about how ridiculous that sounds. Replace God? Are you serious? Yes! That's what we do. That's what the world does. That's what the world does. We try to replace God, and guess what? You can't. You can't do it. And so I think I understand a little more why Paul said we were dead in our sins. Right? We may get that from a theological standpoint, but now do you feel it? Right? Do you feel that from a practical standpoint? Do you get that? You got to get that. So if you're wondering, well, how, how do I now live life in the presence of God? Well, all of those things that would be gone if your faith was gone, everything that, that you just thought of, everything that, that I just talked about, if you had no faith, do that. Do those things. And do them with greater consist consistency. Do them with greater intensity. Do them with greater passion. With greater urgency. Understanding this, right? Those are the things that allow you to live with God now. Those are the things that take you into his presence now. And that presence, that's the key to life. That's the key to life.